Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see y'all here this morning. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Jaime, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad you are joining us this morning. If you are a guest, uh, whether it's your first time or it's been a while since you've been with us, I'm so glad that you decided to join us this morning. And uh, just in case uh, our wonderful and, uh, greeting and welcome team uh, wasn't able to get to you when you came in or you happened to sneak by them, I want to make sure that before you leave, you get a chance to get one of our welcome bags. Uh, besides containing information about us and the work we do here in Chatham County and what it looks like to be part of our community, uh, they include a couple of gifts from local merchants. It's a way for us to bless our community and bless you uh, and a chance for us to show off how awesome Chatham County is. So make sure you get a chance to grab one of those on your way out. I'll also be uh, outside the doors uh, on, on your way out. Come say hi. I'd love to hear your name, how you ended up finding us, and what your experience was like this morning. Uh, I tend to think of myself as having a very good sense of direction, and yet, uh, much like many people uh, in the modern era, I have grown accustomed to using the navigation app on my phone whenever I'm driving somewhere. I use it quite a bit. I always tend to use it the first couple of times I go to a new place, uh, just until I feel like I have a clear sense of how to get there uh, and familiar with my surroundings. It becomes a bit like a safety blanket. But I also tend to always use it when I'm making a drive that's now 40 minutes or more longer. I always use it regardless of how many times I've been there. And I tell myself that I do this just in case there's any traffic or any, uh, any, any obstruction on the road, anything that would make me arrive later, and I need to learn an alternate route. So I tend to use it uh, even if I've been there many, many, many times. And those longer drives are also a great way for me to catch up on audiobooks. In years past, it would be a chance for me to catch up on podcasts. Sometimes I'll use those longer drives to make phone calls or listen to music. And because I don't like those things to be interrupted, I tend to use the navigation app on silent mode. Uh, if you didn't know that that was an option for your navigation app and you find uh, the frequency of updates to be annoying, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> And so I tend to put it on mute, and I tend to position the phone uh, similarly to how it is in that picture in such a way that I can glance over and, uh, and, and sort of keep on the way. Well, I was on one of those longer drives uh, one day a while back, those drives that I'd done many, 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 many times before. And, uh, you know, I had the app, and I was driving along. It was a couple of hours long, the drive. And all of a sudden, I looked around. And I thought, I've been driving on this road longer than I remember. And I looked around, and I was like, none of this looks familiar to me. The road was not familiar anymore. I'd gotten so into the book that I was listening to that it had been a long time since I took a look at the navigation app. And when I took a look at the navigation app, I realized I was far, far, far off course. The exit I was supposed to take had passed miles and miles ago. I mean, the book was great, but still, I was now destined to be incredibly late to where I was going. I was very much off course. It's easy to end up lost when we stop paying attention to the things that were made to guide us, isn't it? It's easy to end up lost. And that's not just true when we're driving around, when we're trying to find our way some places. It's easy to end up in the wrong spots in life when we fail to pay attention to the things that have been provided for us to help us get to the places we were made to be. For the past few weeks, we've been talking about the kind of inner strength and resilience it takes to meet the challenges in life. 
both the challenges that we welcome in life, like when we take on a new project or set ourselves up for a new sort of endeavor, but also the challenges that come due to adversity and opposition. Not just the challenges in our own personal life, but even the challenges that we face in our commitment to Jesus, as we may find ourselves in places where the atmosphere is not welcoming or is inhospitable, maybe even antagonistic. We've been looking at the things Scripture says that are true about us as individuals and about us as a community that were designed to help us live resilient lives. We want to build a resilient core as individuals within a resilient community so that we can be a resilient people. And today we get to talk about what's been provided for us, what's been provided for us to show us the way to be resilient individuals in a resilient community in order to be a resilient people. One of the values that this church has is that we say we look to be biblically guided. We believe that God's word shows us the truth. It shows us how to live in freedom. It helps us build a resilient core that helps us be resilient individuals within a resilient community to become a resilient people. It shows us the path. It shows us the way. God's word shows us what we need to be a resilient people. So then the question becomes, will we pay attention? Because if we don't pay attention, it's really easy to end up in the wrong spot. It's really easy to end up in spots where we realize that we don't have that inner strength, that we don't have that resilience, that we don't know how to meet the challenges that come to us in life, whether the ones we've welcomed or the ones that come through opposition and antagonism. It's easy to end up in the wrong spot when we stop paying attention to what was made to show us the way. The Israelite community that Hillary read about in the passage that she just read about needed to be shown the way. For centuries, they had lived under the yoke of oppression and slavery in Egypt. They had spent generations living as slaves in Egypt. Their lives were regimented. Their lives were controlled. They were subject to violence. They were subject to threats. They were kept in line. Day after day, the pattern was the same. They knew what was expected of them. They knew how they were being told to live. They knew what it was going to be like from the moment they gained awareness of their reality to the moment they breathed their last breath. But they are no longer in Egypt. They are no longer living as slaves. God has brought them out of Egypt. God has brought them out of slavery, and the things that were true about how they'd been told to live no longer apply. Because the things that they'd been told about how to live were about how to live as slaves, and they were no longer slaves. They were now free people. Now they've got to figure out how to live as such. Now they've got to figure out how to live as free people. And it isn't something that they have been able to intuit. In fact, it isn't something that they can intuit. And you notice this tension that they feel when you read some of the passages that talk about them in their journey in the desert, in their journey towards the land that they are about to end. They start longing for life back in Egypt. And you wonder, well, who would long to, live, to, to, to go back to a life in slavery. It's not that they long to go live a life back in slavery. It's that they long for knowing how to live. They knew how to live in that place. They knew what was expected. They knew how to get by. They knew how to at least make it to the next day. There's a script for how life worked in Egypt. 
and they knew how to follow it. They were familiar with it. They are not yet familiar with the script to live in freedom. And they're anxious about it. They need something else. They need a guide to living as free people. They need a guide. And God gives them a guide. God gives them a guide to how to live as free people. He speaks and gives his commandments. He gives his direction. He gives his guidance. These words, these words were given so that they would live a long and fruitful life in the land that they were about to enter. The commands, his words, became a scaffolding or were designed to be a scaffolding for them to flourish. A scaffolding for them to flourish. God's word, God's words are a scaffolding for flourishing, for living flourishing lives. When we started this series, we spent some time addressing some of the most common lies that we are tempted to believe about ourselves, the lies that we as individuals are tempted to believe. And we talked about, we talked about three of them. We talked about the performance lie. And that's the lie that tells us that the issue of our value is based on how good we do something or how much of that good thing we do or how well we do it. We talked about the lie of control or the lie of accumulation where we said that our value, that lie tells us that our value is based on how much we possess. We talked about accumulation because thinking about possessing things is a lot easier than the idea of control, but it's possession in and of itself. And we are valuable the more we possess, either of things or of control or of something else. And we talked about the people-pleasing lie, which tells us that our value depends on whether other people or certain other people like us. Here's the thing. Each of those lies has a script. Each of those lies has a series of messages that we tell ourselves or we receive from others that guide how we live. If we've ever lived in those lies, we know, we may remember what some of that script sounds like. Now, it's personalized for each of us, but it's the kind of messages that keep us up at night or keep us anxious during the day because they try to question how valuable we are because are we meeting the mark? Did we do enough today to earn our keep or earn our spot? Do these people hate me because I fail to say hello? Will I have enough in case something happens? Maybe, maybe I should hustle a little bit more. Maybe I need another side gig, another side hustle, just to get more, just so I'll be safe, just so I'll be valuable and important. These are the things that we tell ourselves or are told to us by others that reinforce the lie that we believe. They guide and scaffold a life that is built on a lie. They guide and scaffold the lives that are built on those lies. But the lives that are built on those lies are not resilient. The lives that are built on those lies are not fruitful. They don't flourish when they're based on lies because the issue of our value is fleeting when we base it on lies. And the scaffolding that is built on those lies cannot sustain the challenges that come in life, it cannot sustain the realities that sometimes we fail, that sometimes we just don't do enough, that sometimes we don't have control or we can't possess everything, 
that not everyone is going to like us. In fact, sometimes the very people we'd love to like us won't like us. If our value is dependent on that and we build our lives on that, then our lives will crumble in those moments. Those lies don't build resilient lives. Those lies trap us. They enslave us. But there is truth about where our value comes from, and that truth can set us free. That truth can set us free. And that truth is that the issue of our value was established at creation. We were made in God's image. It was settled on the cross through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And it will be reaffirmed in the coming age, in the new heavens and the new earth. Our value is secure because God has established our value. God has said that we are valuable. God has chosen to love us. And God is steadfast. His love for us is consistent. It is not dependent on what we do or how much we have or how many people like us. God's setting of our value is based on himself, on God's self. God's choice to love us is based on God's self. And there's also a script then for a life that is built on that truth. That script is God's word. It's the scripture. It goes along with that truth. And the scripture shows us how to build a resilient life on that truth. The resilient life that can meet the challenges that come, both the ones we welcome and the ones that catch us by surprise. And even as we're meeting those challenges, when we build our lives on that truth and we are guided in that life through the words that God has given us, we find that our lives flourish. And so scripture becomes the scaffolding for a resilient life lived in freedom. God's word is the scaffolding for our lives to be lived in freedom. The message that was communicated to those Israelites in the desert millennia ago, that a life guided by God's word is a resilient life that is long and is lived in freedom and flourishes, was not just true for them, it's true for us as well. And if it's true for us as well, then it might be worth it to pay attention to some of the key things that happen as God is communicating this to those ancient Israelites. One of the things that stands out in this passage is that before they are told what to do, how to actually live out their lives, they are called to hear. The first thing that they are invited to do is to hear. It says, hear Israel. And then another point, it says, hear, O Israel. Now, this is an oral culture, so it's rather obvious that if you're going to communicate something in an oral culture, you will be speaking and people will need to hear. That is somewhat obvious. But it's also telling that even in a setting where people are accustomed to listening in order to receive information or instruction, they still need to be told to hear. They still need to be called to hear. In other words, they need to be reminded to pay attention. Even though they're used to hearing, even though they're used to listening, they still need to be reminded to pay attention because it's easy to get distracted. And it's easy to focus our attention on something else. If you've been to the movie theaters any time in your life, you know that, first of all, whatever time is listed that it says the movie is going to start, the movie is actually going to start half an hour later. 
And that's great because it gives us time to go to the concession stand and buy popcorn and drinks or whatever you enjoy at the movie theater if you enjoy being fleeced out of your money. But it also gives you a chance to catch the trailers. And in addition to being given a chance to catch the trailers, there's always, or at least in every theater I've been, there's always a video that tells you how to behave in a movie theater. It's the movie theater etiquette video. It reminds us to turn off our phones and to not talk to people, to throw our garbage in the trash on our way out, etc., etc. But in addition to doing all that, it is a signal for us to draw our attention to the movie that is about to start. It's, it's, It's a trigger for us because we know that once it comes on, the movie's about to start. But even in some of the things that it's telling us, it's telling us so that we will be able to pay attention to the movie that's about to start. Now, here's the thing. We've all, or someone has, paid money for us to be in that movie theater. We've all come with the distinct purpose to pay attention to the movie that's about to be projected on that screen, and yet, we still know that we need a call to pay attention. We need to be reminded that it's time to attend. Even though we've come for that, it's so easy to get distracted so easy to pay attention to something else, so easy to miss what we came for. If that's true there, where all of us are there for the distinct purpose, or most of us, some of us got dragged there, but we're there for the distinct purpose of paying attention, and we still need to be reminded, how much more do we need to be reminded in the midst of days where there are so many things that vie for our attention? So many valid things that vie for our attention. So many important things that vie for our attention. The call to hear, the call to pay attention was relevant in the first century, and it's relevant today where the distractions have only increased. And the best way to start doing that, the best way to start to build lives that pay attention is to make room. Make room to pay attention to God's words. Carve out space, the space that you can, where you can, in the ways that you can now, so that you are able to start paying attention. We will, we will miss the directions if we don't carve spaces to pay attention to them. We will miss the guidance that builds up a life that is resilient, a life that flourishes if we don't carve out spaces to pay attention. Now, I know this is difficult. I know there's a lot that's vying for our attention. So let me say it again. Carve out the space you can in the ways that you can that create an environment where you can pay attention in whatever way you can or are able. Now, some of you may may be thinking, well, now I need to just find ways to make like space for an hour a day of reading Scripture. That is not what I'm saying, though that may be what some of us are able to do. Bless you in that. Bless you in that. Some of us have tried that and have found it sort of a dead end. We just can't figure out what to do. Some of it is because Scripture at the start feels difficult to understand, feels hard to access. When I first started going to church, I had no church background. 
I had had no interaction with the Bible in my life. And, upon, and around my second time visiting church, the pastor handed me a Bible. He gifted it to me. And I thought, well, the thing I should do with this is I should start reading it. And I thought, well, let's read it cover to cover, right? That's a good way to approach it. I was maybe 12, 13 years old. I got all the way to Leviticus, and then I had no idea what was happening. <laughs> and I was done. It would have been easy for me to resolve in my life that it was hard, that what was the point in making room to hear God's word if I wasn't going to understand it? But I still had this sense that there was something about God's word that was made to help me build a good life, a flourishing life. Maybe I would have thought a blessed life in those days as a, as, as a young kid. And so I, I was like, okay, well, what else can I try? Well, at my church, they handed out these little booklets. They were Here in the United States, they're called the Daily Bread. And in terms of content from Scripture, they are incredibly light. It's like one verse. And then it's a story or a reflection that someone has written. And I started to read those, and that started to create in me an impression. I was like, okay, it's worth making space because it seems like people can understand what Scripture is saying. And it started to create in me sort of a habit or, or a space to hear from God. I was hearing from God through people's reflection, but I was hearing from God in God's word. And then the next thing I realized is there are different translations of the Bible, and there are translations that are more accessible to a 14-year-old boy. And I got one that didn't have words that I needed a degree to understand. And I got instruction on what books to start with that were easier and more approachable, and I went there. And then I was like, okay, I can actually access God's words and I can actually get a sense. I don't understand everything, but I understand more than I did when I started. And slowly but surely, in the ways that I could, based on the knowledge that I had and the way that I developed, it grew and it grew and it grew. It grew and it grew and it grew. These days, the way I do it uh, is I read a chapter a day. Or pick a book read it through a chapter a day. Uh, I, there's no goal. I'm not looking to read the Bible all the way in a year. I tried that once. I just got overwhelmed. <laughs> but every day, I've just found a way to make room to hear God's word. You may be at that point in your journey. You may be at the start. Wherever you are, carve whatever, you space, whatever space you can, and you, you'll find that God will meet you. And God will give you the guidance that you need in the way that you're able to receive it at this stage in your journey. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because these words were given so that we could find our way. When we don't make room to pay attention, we will inevitably end up lost. We'll inevitably end up missing the exit. In addition to calling them to hear, the Israelites are told to do things with the message that God communicates to them, with God's command, with God's words. They are told to impress them on their children. They are told to talk about them at home. They are told to talk about them while they're taking a walk. They are told to talk about them at the start of their day and at the end of the day. They are told to carry physical reminders of God's words and are told to write them on the entrance points in their community. The picture this paints is of a life where God's words are part of everything. They're part of every aspect. These are lives that are saturated with God's words. It makes sense because these are the words on which they are going to build their whole lives, their whole community, 
They're going to build resilient lives that flourish. They need to be part of every aspect of life. Now, we may not be at the point where we are tying passages of Scripture to our arms or sort of uh, finding a way to bind them to our foreheads, but let's not miss the wisdom here, the wisdom that's behind that advice. Our days are filled with words. They are filled with messages. They are filled with communication. We are saturated already with words. There's no doubt about that. The question is, what's the fruit of the words your life is saturated with? What words is your life saturated with? What words is my life saturated with? What words are our lives saturated with? And what fruit is it bearing? And the invitation then is to become saturated with the words that have promised to lead to life. That's the promise behind the invitation to saturate their lives with God's words to the Israelites, is that it will lead them to a long and fruitful life, and that promise extends to us. Lives are already saturated with words. Let's saturate them with the words that will lead to life. How do we do that? Well, some of it is making time to read Scripture in whatever way you can, but not all of it. Some of it is tangible reminders of a particular word or a particular passage that you're looking to grab hold of or looking to apply. There are people who, particularly when they're dealing with things like road rage, will post a verse about peace and patience in their sort of visor in the car. And whenever they get in the car and lower the visor, they read that to themselves. Some some people will put post-it notes on their mirror. Some people will tie strings on their arms or wear armbands or have reminders on their phones. It's tangible ways. Not to read all of Scripture, not to remember all of Scripture, but to remember what they need in this stage to guide them, to build the scaffolding for a fruitful, resilient life. Some of it is social. Some of it is relational. It's connected to the conversations we have and the relationships we cultivate. Small groups are a perfect example of that. It is a space we carve out during the week to talk with people about God's words and how we live them out and how we build resilient lives upon them. The instruction to the Israelites, it's multifaceted because we need multiple points of access to God's words. We need multiple sources of input and methods of engagement in order to become saturated. And it also acknowledges that some of us learn better and retain better by reading. Some of us learn better and retain better by listening. Some of us learn better and retain better by dialoguing. Some of us learn better and retain better with physical reminders, with tactile tools. Whatever works for you, apply it, engage in it, find a way. Your life, our life, my life is already saturated with words. Let's saturate them with the words that build life so that we would internalize it. A little while back, I, uh, I went bowling for the first time in many years. And I'd gone bowling with, and you know, I'd, I'd take, um, sort of I'd use the balls that are provided in the bowling alley, but this was the first time I went with sort of the bowling ball that I had grown accustomed to, that I grew up using. It's been with me for over 25 years at this point. And so I went, and you know, the first couple of times, like, I, I was like, man, I feel like I've never bowled in my life. It's been so long. But then I started to sort of get in the position. I remembered, okay, I used to get in this position, and I started to sort of do the kind of motions that I used to do when I bowled. And I found that in doing those motions, it triggered like a muscle memory in me. 
And I remembered, okay, I do this, I do that, I take these paces, I swing the ball now. Oh, wait, no, now I have to move the ball this way. And I started to get the picture again of what it looked like to bowl well. And as the evening progressed, I got slowly better and better and better. Not because I was learning in the moment, but because I was remembering. Because I was remembering. What I, the ways that I set myself, the ways that I did things triggered the muscle memory that reminded me how to bowl. Saturating our lives with Scripture will help us remember it in the moments that we need it. We'll see something on the visor and we'll remember, oh yes, peace. We'll see something in the bathroom mirror and we'll remember, yes, I am beloved in our moments of need. We'll have a conversation and we'll remember that, yes, God has gotten us through this in the past. In the moments that we need it, if we have things that will trigger our memory, we'll have access to God's words in the moments that we need it. Build habits that help you remember. so You'll have access to it when you and those around you need it. Now, it would be really easy to make this all about the things that we need to do. Right? And so far, there's been a good bit of that. Right? We've been talking about practical ways to make room, to build habits, to access Scripture in many ways of our lives. There's no doubt that there are things that are ours to do, but this isn't a do-better, try-harder kind of message. But here's why. Before being told to build habits that saturate their lives so that they can remember God's Word, so that they can be guided by God's words, before calling the Israelites to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul and with all their strength, the first thing they are called to pay attention to after the hear, O Israel, they're called to pay attention to something about who God is. They're told, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God's call to love, follow, and obey him, to build structures, to make room, to build habits, to saturate our lives, all of it comes in response to who God has shown himself to be. God always shows who he is before he invites us to do anything. Before you set out to do anything, reflect on who God has shown himself to be in your life. Maybe he's been showing himself to be the loving God, the forgiving God, the God who is Father, the faithful God, the patient God, the present God the generous God, the mighty God, the awesome God. Because that's the kind of God whose words we would want saturating our lives. That's the kind of God whose words we would want to hear, we would want to follow, we would want to be in relationship with. We'd want our lives to be guided by that God's words. So let your life be guided by the words of God. Let your life be guided by the words of the God who's shown himself to be merciful, to be present, to be mighty, to be loving, to be forgiving, the God who has pursued you, the God who has pursued me, the God who is peace, the God who makes promises and keeps promises, the God who is faithful. Now, I don't want to give you a picture of one, I want to give you, I do want to give you a picture of one of the ways as a community, that we seek to be biblically guided and we seek to saturate our lives in Scripture. And the fruit of that is here in this morning. This week, we as a community spent the week in this passage. 
We saturated our lives with this passage. Every day from Monday through Friday, we produced a devotional written by one of the members in our community based on this passage. Our small group questions, our small group studies were based on this passage. So around Chatham County, communities gathered and studied this passage together. For me personally, every Wednesday, Alex and I sit down and talk about the sermon. We've talked about it before. We've talked about the passage. But on, on Wednesday night, we talk about what we're going to preach. And what that means is that between seven and nine times during the week, personally, I was sitting with other people. I was reading other people's words. I was reading the passage. I was saturating my life. And if you are part of this community and are engaged in those ways, you were saturating your life as well with these scriptures. And they were shaping us. The wisdom I gained from the people who wrote the Connect devotional shaped this sermon. The whole section on here, on paying attention, came from the Connect devotionals. People drew attention to it, and I thought, oh, that's a good word for me. That's a good word for our community. All the things that I shared about who God is, they came from our small group. There are the ways that we as a community have been seeing God present in our life. They guided this sermon. God's word saturated and guided this sermon. God's word saturates and guides our lives as a community. So two things. One, if you've not signed up for the Connect devotional, sign up for it. We've got a great team of writers, and it will, it will mean you are living in God's word, God's message for our community every day as we lead up to the sermon. If you've not signed up for a small group, join a small group. It's a great way not, not only for you to study and grow in your learning, but to do it in community, to hear how people are learning and applying God's word in their lives, how they're building the scaffolding for a resilient life, and you'll be able to share how you build your scaffolding for a resilient life, how you follow your life. The invitation today is to let your life be guided by the words of God, the invitation for us is to let our lives be guided by the words of God as a community. And the practical way to do it is if you've not signed up for the Connect devotional, sign up. If you've not signed up for a small group, sign up. Walk with us together as we seek to be biblically guided. Let me pray. Gracious God, thank you. Thank you that you speak. Thank you that you give us words, words of truth, words of life, words of abundance, words that build resilience and inner strength in us. Thank you, Lord, that we don't need to figure it out all on our own. You've given us people who share their reflections on Scripture. You've given us technology so that we can send those words out every day. Thank you, God, that you've given us communities of people who are all along the path of walking with Jesus and understanding Scripture that are willing to gather together to talk about what they get, what they don't get what they're understanding, what they need to understand, how this is working in their lives, how it seems like it's not working. Thank you, God, that we are growing together. As a community that doesn't just internalize biblical information, but works out transformative application of God's word. Thank you, God, for the ways you've brought life. Lord, may we be people who are guided by your words. May we see lives that flourish, lives that are resilient. In Jesus' name. Amen.